0: Revelation chapter 19. We've been looking at the warrior king in the book of the Revelation in our midweek studies. But for the purpose of our service tonight and the preparation of our hearts for the communion table afterwards, I want to look more closely at one of the descriptions of Jesus Christ in this vision. You will observe that, well, you won't be able to count them all now, but there are 13 descriptions. Of the Saviour. In this vision. It's a powerful painting of the warrior king. Coming back again to the earth. Out of heaven's glory. There is a description of his horse. As white. There is a description of one of his names. As faithful and true. And then there is a description. Of his mission. In righteousness he doth judge. And make war. And then there is. Fourthly, a description of his eyes as a flame of fire. There is a description of his crown upon his head, many crowns upon his head. Uh, Another name written that no man knew but himself. And then he has a vesture dipped in blood. And another name, he's called the Word of God. And then there's a description of his followers following behind him in white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. A description of his mouth. And what's coming out of it, the sword, a description of his rod with which he rules the nations, a rod of iron, a description of his feet treading the winepress of the fierceness of God's wrath, and then another name at the end, a name written on his vesture and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, 13 items describing perfectly the Lord Jesus Christ, 13 gives us a central one. And the central one in this case would be the 7th. So the 7th item of the Scripture is what I want to leave with you tonight. In the very heart of the vision, verse 13, the first part of the verse, the middle item. He was clothed with a vesture, dipped, baptized in blood. That's at the heart of the vision. That's what really stands out in this uh, prophetic painting of the glory of our warrior king coming back to save his church and to put down all their enemies. This really stands out. This remarkable raiment uh, would catch everybody's eye and certainly catches John's eye Because he's carefully arranged it to put it here in the middle. That's not an accident. That's design. The design of inspiration. This vesture dipped in blood. Is the heart of the vision. But it's also the heart of Christianity. There's something very important here. That our Savior has a vesture dipped. Baptized. In blood. And there's much here I believe for reflection. And I want to pause at it. And I think it's a good text. As we prepare ourselves for the Lord's table. Now the first thing that I want to point out. For you to observe. Is that this is not just a scarlet colored garment. It's not just a red garment. It's not just a bright red garment. That's not what John says. John's not slow to describe colors. The thing about these visions is. That they're not on black and white. They're always colorful. And John is quick. To point out the colors that stand out. And we read of a red horse. We read of a red dragon. There's a scarlet colored beast. Uh, the woman Babylon. And she. In, uh, representing Babylon. She's a red in, in scarlet garments. So there's all these colors. And there are colors to describe red. But the raiment of our Lord. Is not just red. Nor is it just scarlet. The color is blood. It is blood. It has been stained. It has been saturated. Not by an ordinary dye. Such as red or scarlet or purple whatever. No, this is blood. This is a garment that has had a baptism in blood. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants us to think about. So John is not just portraying the color vividly and wants to describe it as the color of blood no he's he's making a theological statement he's saying something that we have to pause at and to reflect upon the Holy Spirit here is drawing to doctrine doctrine that the people of God are familiar with and that they need to be reminded of time and time again, that our Savior has had a very special baptism that has affected his garments. This is a heavenly truth. Really, this description is just a simple way of telling the old, old story in a new manner. That's what we have here. So I want to point out that it's not just a bright color, it is blood blood. The second thing that I would draw your attention to is the question of whose blood is it? Whose blood is this that this garment has been dipped in? That's a very important question. Now, you will notice it doesn't say in the text. It doesn't say dipped in his blood or dipped in the blood of his enemies. So there is some uncertainty about it. And we have to pause and we have to think and we have to reflect and we have to ask the text questions because that's what the Lord wants us to do. He doesn't put it in every word that we think we would like to be put in. He wants to make us think and compare Scripture with Scripture and try to come to an understanding. He wants us to study the vision, not to just you know the way you are in an art museum and you just walk past every picture, just give it a bird glance. No, the Lord wants us to look in every vision in detail and give some time to it. Either there are two possibilities. It could be Christ's own blood. Or it could be the blood of his enemies. After all, he's a warrior. He's coming forth to war and to battle. Could it portray the blood of his enemies? Which is it? Now, many, if not most, of the commentators will say it is the blood of his enemies. It is symbolic of the destruction that he is going to work in the earth. That he's coming as the judge. He's coming to deal with the ungodly. He's coming to make this great supper unto God. When there will be the multitudes as it were of slain of the wicked. To those who are impenitent and resisting the gospel. And of course this, this language, this description is drawn from the divine warrior. Which is depicted in Isaiah 63. And in Isaiah 63 the divine warrior there is coming from Edom. He's coming from a battle. He's coming from a a destruction that he has wrought, and his garments are bloodstained. Who is this that cometh from Edom, with dyed garments from Basra, that is glorious in his apparel? And so there he's coming from the judgment, he's destroyed the Edomites, he's dealt with Basra, and his garments have been sprinkled with the blood of his enemies. And so the vision seems to be drawing from Isaiah 63. And a lot of the commentators will say, there it is, it's the blood of his enemies. It's the blood of those that he's going to destroy in the judgment. And John is clearly alluding to that chapter because there are, there are a number of parallels. However, there is a very important difference. In Isaiah 63, the divine warrior is coming from Edom to Jerusalem. He's coming from the destruction to Jerusalem. And obviously he has been stained in the blood of his enemies. This warrior has not yet come from the destruction of the sinners upon the earth. He's on his way there. He's coming from glory. He's coming from heaven, as it were, to the earth. His garments have not been yet sprinkled with their blood He's coming as one who has already his garments baptized in blood. And that's a very important difference. And it's to be noted. The direction is different. Christ is going to the warfare already covered in blood. And so in heaven, in this vision, his garments are already dyed in blood. Whenever he got up on that horse to mount it and put on his many crowns, it was already a blood stained garment that he adorned as he went forth. It is therefore not yet the blood of his enemies. It's his own blood. It's dipped in his own blood, this garment. And so I, I agree with the covenanter Samuel Rutherford, who said, I leave all the expositions. And take it to be Christ in his suffering clothes. And I, I have to stand with Samuel Rutherford. I think that's the purpose of this, in the very heart of this vision. We have to take it as Christ's own blood. He's qualified to judge, he's qualified to tread the winepress of the wrath of God because he himself has been in the sinner's stead. And knows something of God's judgment against sin. And knows something of the greatness of that sin that those sinners have whenever they reject Christ and reject the gospel. And reject this mercy and sacrifice that he has wrought for them, for sinners. So I do take it to be Christ's blood. Now of course, there's a word in this book that occurs again and again. Again throughout the chapter, 22 chapters, and it does occur in this chapter as well, it is the word lamb. And Christ is a lamb. In fact, if you count the number of the occurrences of the word lamb in the book of the Revelation, it even occurs more than in the book of Leviticus. And the Leviticus is a book about the sacrificial offerings. And we we would think that that would be full of the use of the word lamb. But no, the book of the Revelation has the word lamb more. And it's the lamb that's in heaven. The lamb as if he were slain. And Saul was talking about the blood of the lamb. This is just another picture for the lamb as if he had been slain. This is just another picture for the blood of the lamb. But now he's coming. That lamb that was slain. That lamb who poured out his blood. That lamb who had the baptism of sufferings is mounting his glorious horse and he's coming back again. And so in this book, the lamb is a slain lamb and we frequently read of his blood. And that's the blood that this vesture, I believe, has been dipped in. The vision is that lamb coming back again, wearing his suffering garments. Wearing the regalia of his sacrificial work. And he's able to judge the world in righteousness because of what he has gone through. This one who died for sinners and shed his blood for sinners will not judge unrighteously sinners. This fester then thirdly is described as dipped, dipped in blood. You remember that the Lord Jesus the night that he was betrayed he he dipped the sop in the gravy dish And he gave it to Judas. He plunged it into the dish. You you remember the rich man in hell. He says send Lazarus. Let him dip his finger in the water. Let him dip it. Let him plunge it into a bowl. Or into a river of water. And whatever remains let him bring it to me. To put it upon my tongue. And this is what has happened. This raiment of Jesus Christ. It's It's been plunged. It's been dipped as if a divine hand has taken it and plunged it into a fountain of blood. This is the blood of Jesus Christ. Cross Christ dons the garment that has been baptized in a baptism of blood. It's his own garment. You remember the Lord Jesus Christ said, I have a baptism to be baptized with, he says. He's speaking about this. He's going to be dipped into sufferings. He's going to be plunged into the cross. Now the question is asked, who gave Christ this baptism? Because another has to baptize, of course, you can't baptize yourself. Another has to baptize. And who clothed Christ with this garment? Who plunged him in, as it were, into the blood with his garments? It was the Father. It was the Father's baptism. I have a baptism to be baptized with. Father, if it be possible take this cup from me? It's the Father's cup. It's the Father's baptism. The Father clothed him for the sufferings for our sins. The Father, as it were, gave him the imputation of our sins upon him. That he might die as the sin-bearer and the substitute. Now the Savior took it voluntarily. He he didn't have those robes forced on him. The way that the garments were forced on him by the Romans and by Herod's soldiers. No, he voluntarily took those garments. He arrayed himself with those garments for the suffering of the cross. But the Father's hand, even as we were saying this morning... Uh, The son not never alone, but the father always has his hand in this work as well. And it's the father who has given him the baptism of suffering for our sins. So this garment that he bears as he gets on the white horse is a reminder of his past. It's a reminder where he's come from before. It's a reminder of another battle that he had at Calvary long before. Because he went up to heaven, as it were, in these garments. And he reigns at the right hand of God in the remembrance of his cross where bearing the sufferings and the nailed prints in his hands and in his feet. So this warrior knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to suffer for sinners. He knows what it is to engage in a warfare for the salvation of sinners before he comes to judge the impenitent sinners who do not believe in him. And so this, this garment shows that. And so Rutherford is quite right, I believe. And that's the way that we are taking it tonight. These are his wooing garments. Th- these are the kind of garments you want to look at whenever you are reminded of your sins. These are the garments you want to have a good meditation upon when, when you come to the table. Best are dipped in blood. This Savior receives sinners because he has a vesture dipped in blood. This Savior loves sinners because he has a vesture dipped in blood. He was slain for sinners. He has this on in heaven, as I say, because he obtained it at the cross. So this garment is telling us that he first fought for sinners before he fights against them. And their stubborn impenitence and resistance to the gospel. He first battled at the cross. And burying our sins. It was a battle. He bruised Satan's head. It was a battle. At the cross he destroyed him that had the power of death. Because it was a battle. He had his heel bruised. He had his hands pierced. He had his back whipped. He had his side pierced. There's blood everywhere. He is baptized in blood. And you you read the Gospels, accounts, and you'll see how literally his garments must have been stained in blood. Those garments that were divided among the soldiers, how they must have been dipped in blood. you remember his bloody sweat? When he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. That blood is coming through his pores. Not just his forehead, it's not just a forehead sweat. this is a whole body sweat and it's brought about by terror, by fear, because there are people who have suffered this sweat, people who have done wicked things and on their deathbed, the sweat has brought come out their pores because of the terror. And Jesus Christ had no sin, but he bore our sin. He saw our sin and and the judgment of God has to deal with him because of it. And there was terror. He was a man and he had terror. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He was terrified. Because no one can walk the divine, tread, the divine winepress of divine wrath and not be afraid. And in the battle, there was blood come out of his pores. And those garments must have been, if they were white, they must have turned scarlet. They must have turned red. They got a crimson dye because of it. And then you'll remember the, the the whipping he got and the beatings. And the whipping would have been a very severe whipping. I know he was stripped for the whipping, but the garment was put on him again. And it was stained. It was dipped in blood that flowed from his cruel, whipping that he received at the hands of the Romans. And then there was the crown of thorns upon his head and and the the pouring out and the sprinkling of the blood upon the garments and the nails and the hands and Calvary. So those garments that were distributed amongst the soldiers were saturated in blood. And you will notice the same garment is referred to again here in this vision. Near the end in verse 13. He's clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And then towards the end of the vision. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh. And he am written king of kings and lord of lords. So you see how the prophet brings it in at the very end. Not, not satisfied just to mention the vesture in the middle. When he comes to the end. He has to mention it again. The vesture gets a double mention. And there's writing on this vesture. This vesture that has been dipped in blood. There's writing upon. We looked upon at that in our studies. We said that the father wrote this. The father wrote this on his thigh. The father wrote this on the vesture dipped with blood. Concerning his son. The King of kings and lord of lords. Because of the suffering of the cross. Because of the baptism of blood. That he endured on the behalf of sinners. And the Father brought him up to glory and broke as it were on the bloodstained vesture. This is just a vision now, setting forth theological truth. It didn't literally happen on a garment up in glory, as it were, but this is just a vision to set us forth tell us the truth that the Father, on the grounds of his suffering, and on the on the foundation of his blood work, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he'll go forth and judge the nations. And that's the way he's coming now, with these bloodstained garments. King of kings and Lord of lords. Receiving the glory of his crosswork, And now he's going out to judge the sinners. So the crown and the vesture are connected. There's no crown without the bloody vesture. And it's the bloody vesture that brings to him the crown of glory. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's very important. This garment then is a garment of honor now. Though it was a garment of suffering. In the past. It's now a garment of honor. And the cross is now his glory. And his honor. As indeed it is our glory. And our honor. And we glory in the cross. And we glory in this garment. And we glory in the crown. Of the crucified one. Now this. Union of vesture and crown. King of kings and lord of lords. Is. Is. Set forth in a mocking way in the Gospel accounts. Because you know that Matthew, Mark, and John refer to our garment that Jesus Christ was arrayed in, in a mocking manner. They put a scarlet robe on him. They clothed him in scarlet, like unto red. It was a surrounding garment that covered his naked body as they stripped him of his garments and put this mocking robe upon him. As a king. They're making him a king to mock him. This is the king of the Jews. So they put the, the scarlet robe upon him. And then they made the crown of thorns. You see, every time they mention the scarlet robe, they mention the crown of thorns. They're inseparable. He's standing there with the crown of thorns and with the purple robe being mocked in his kingly office as they prepare to crucify him. And now the father honours him. The blood stained garments and the name on that garment written by the Father's hand, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, true King. The Father's not mocking him. It was the Romans mocked him. It was the sinners mocked him. But the Father's honoring him. So when he dons this garment of his sufferings, the medals of his crosswork, he is now in glory, and he's being honored on the basis of, Of his sufferings. So the mocking robe and the mocking crown pictured his sufferings and his humility, and this bloodstained garment with the name written on it, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, pictures his glory as a result of his humiliation of obedience for our sins. No more mocking garments. Jesus comes in garments of glory and there's none more glorious than that blood-stained robe that he wears which he got when he died for us poor, needy sinners. So that's what's being taught here. There's a deep theology here. And it is to be observed also that Jesus only wears the blood-stained garments. Only Jesus. He has a whole army following him. Now, we would think if this was about judgment, this is about you know getting stained with the blood of those that are being destroyed and judged, we would expect the army to have bloodstained garments as well. We would expect all those soldiers that are following him to have splattered, sprinkled blood upon their garments as well. But if you read the description very carefully, he's the only one that has this baptism of blood, and the rest of them are all coming in garments, linen, Pure and white and clean. Not a speckle of blood upon them. Not one spot. Not one wrinkle. Not one crease. They're coming in spotless whiteness. Only Jesus has had the baptism of blood. Only Christ has died for our sins. And and we as the army. If we are the army. Maybe the angels are. As I said on another occasion that are depicted here. But certainly the church wears the white garments. Why do we get the white garments? Because he was the bloody man that we might become the clean men, the purified sinners. So it was because Christ had this baptism of blood that these sinners have these clean garments. They're clothed with clean garments. He's clothed with a blood-stained garment. And the reason is that they, they come behind him with their pure garments because he has died for them. He has bought every one of them with his blood. He's bringing them after him. And he's the only one who has all the blood shed Because he died. He died for sinners to make them white and clean and pure. That's what's being taught here. The saints are dressed differently. And this isn't about the blood of the enemies. The blood of those that are being judged and destroyed. This is, I believe, Christ's blood. Otherwise, this army would be splattered as well. With the judgment that they're getting involved in. So these garments then. Are preaching to us. And the Lord wants us to think about. What he went through. For us. And the terrible baptism of suffering. That he had to face and endure for us. It wasn't easy. But having loved his own. He loved them on to the end. So these garments. Are proclaiming him the one who's coming to judge the world is the one who bought us with his blood. And we're able to follow him in white garments and go behind him because he's bought us with his blood. And we're not going to be amongst those who are going to be slaughtered and given to the fowls of the heaven to devour in the judgment of God because those behind him have been bought with that blood that stains his robes. And those before him, the impenitent and the wicked, are going to be destroyed for the rejection of him, for the rejection of the gospel. You know, the Lord Jesus has been slow to judge him. I mean it's two thousand years, he hasn't come back yet. He's he's slow to wrath. He was quick to get to Calvary to die for sinners and to send the gospel throughout all the world. His his garments testify to his grace. His garments tell, I shed my own blood before I shed your blood. His garments say, I offer you grace, I offer you salvation before I destroy you in your impenitence and rebellion and unbelief. So these are garments of grace. As Rutherford, he got it so well. These are the wooing garments. These are the garments to woo the sinners, to draw the sinners to Him, to take them away from their sins, To himself. And that suffering of course is over now. He's not suffering anymore. The baptism has really taken place. He's just wearing the the regalia. The memorial of it. It's finished that. It's passed. And now he's the king of kings. And lord of lords in heaven. The mighty saviour. Who is the victor and conqueror. And he's coming back again. So what I want you to think about tonight, particularly people of God, we're not thinking about the judgment to come, though that's the emphasis in this vision. But I want you to think about how he fought for you. How he fought for you at Calvary. How he fought for you in the sharing of his blood at the cross. How he fought for you and against your sins and against the Satan who bound you and imprisoned you. He become the bloodied man for you. He become the red man. He's a red man. He become that for you. And he calls you to himself. And I suppose we should reflect upon. How much we have been bloodied for Christ. You know he fought for us. And he suffered for us. And have we really done anything for the Lord? Have we done anything that's ever cost us anything? We so much like our ease. But the Lord didn't love his ease. He didn't sit at ease in Zion. He bloodied himself in the battle. And his people who follow him, they have to fight as well for him. And they have to fight against their sins and against that which holds them back from bringing glory to God. They have to battle. You Remember how the apostle said in the Hebrews, you haven't yet resisted unto blood. The epistle to the Hebrews is full of blood. How Christ has shed his blood. How he's entered in with his blood. Into the sanctuary. And then the apostle says to the Christians. What about you? Have you resisted unto blood? Have you got your garments stained. And following the king? Have you gone without the camp? Has it cost you anything to follow your savior? I haven't yet resisted unto blood. Are we fighting? Are we resisting sin? Are we battling? Are we struggling? Oh, these are some of the lessons that surely we must draw from this vesture when we meditate upon. it. There is no doubt much more for reflection and consideration. Think upon it yourself. Eye it. Get into the vision. Be drawn into the vision and may the Holy Spirit open your understanding to see see the man who was bloodied for you. you. Remember how Pilate brought him out? The bloodied man. Pilate brought him out and he says, Behold, Behold the man, behold the man. And tonight around the table, that's what we want to do. We want to behold the man who had the baptism. And as I said this morning, we also want to behold the father, the husband man, who for us sinners gave him that baptism. Because the father and the son are one in this great work of salvation. So may we reflect upon the father and the son tonight as we come to the table.